0: Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 18 of Dr. Music. I'm Matthew Morullo. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to go back to France. We've been to France a few times, but we're going to look at a composer who's quite different from his contemporaries, namely Claude Debussy and Maurice Ravel. His name is Eric Satie. He lived from 1866 to 1925. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at a piece that he wrote, it's a piano piece, from two different perspectives. The original piano piece, and then the orchestrated version by Claude Debussy. So we're going to look at first, what is it about this particular piece that makes it very unique and special, and then we're going to see how Debussy treated it. Which is a very interesting thing to do whenever you look at an arrangement of a piano piece, whether it's by the composer himself or herself, or some other composer. In this case, it's a different composer interpreting Satie's piece. The reason why Satie is so different is because he represents a very new simplification of late 19th century musical technique. It's a simplification not because Satie is at odds with the currents in music of the time. Indeed, a lot of his music sounds impressionistic, much like Debussy, But he doesn't develop the themes in long compositions like his contemporaries and and his predecessors. Satie is more interested in the beauty of the theme itself. If you think of sonata form, remember sonata form has three big sections. The exposition, where the main themes are exposed for the first time, followed by the all-important development section, which develops those themes and then the recapitulation, which, of course, recaps the themes of the exposition. Now, a development section in sonata form is so important because this is what composers have been doing for a long time. You don't have to be a composer of sonata form to develop a theme. Composers way back in the Baroque period developed themes. It's just a very common thing to do. Satie discards any kind of development in favor of a more direct, simplistic approach his musical material. It's the beauty of the theme and only the theme. No development necessary, no recapitulation necessary where the composer does magic tricks with the original theme to make it sound a little bit different. And this is best exemplified in his three very famous short piano pieces called Gymnopédie. Now what does Gymnopédie mean? Well, it's actually hard to translate There are some dictionaries of that time that define it as a type of a dance, a Greek dance, that was actually done in the nude, dating back to ancient Greek festivals where men or women danced. Although it's hard to know what exactly was in Satie's mind when he composed these pieces, he was a very private person. He lived in an apartment, and he usually didn't have any visitors. When, after he died at the age of 59 people came to his apartment, they couldn't believe what they saw. It was, it was a mess. He also had two grand pianos. One of them he used really just for storage. He didn't play it. Unfortunately, his heavy drinking habits resulted in cirrhosis of the liver, and that's what eventually killed him. I guess certain Parisians indulged themselves a little too much during the Belle Époque. The main thing to remember about Satie is that he whittles down the music to its barest melodic and harmonic essence he can actually be thought of as a precursor to minimalism. That's a popular 20th century current where the composer forges an entire piece out of a minimal amount of musical material with very slow development, although there is development in minimalism. But the development has very small gradations, tiny incremental changes. First, I'd like you to listen to the entire piece. It's pretty short. As a matter of fact, what happens is you hear the piece twice. Satie simply repeats it. You might very well recognize it because as far as Satie's compositions go, this is definitely one of the more famous ones. This is Daniel Varsano playing on a Sony Entertainment CD. Very relaxing, isn't it? Now, I'm sure you heard chords in there that sounded kind of jazzy, and that's because you're conditioned to hear chords that have other factors, like sevenths and ninths and elevenths, as jazz chords. But again, this music, like Debussy's music, was composed before jazz was an idiom, although it led to the jazz idiom. For example, let me just play for you the first couple of measures. Listen to these chords. Now, those chords are called major seventh chords. They're beautiful chords, regardless of what style you're composing in. But they're also very much associated with jazz. And these are precisely the kind of sonorities that composers like Debussy and Ravel love to use. I would even say Ravel revels in it. Okay, a little play on words there. Now, listen to the melody that Satie uses. Now, the predominant intervals there are stepwise, you know, going by step, thirds and fourths. Now, we start with a minor third going up. Then it goes down step, step. then down a fourth, then up step-step, and then down a fourth, and then down a minor third. In some ways, the melody is an inversion, or an upside-down image of itself. Not exactly, though. Remember, it starts with a minor third going up, and it ends with a minor third going down. Also, remember, we started stepwise going down. That was after the third. And then after it drops a fourth, it goes step up, step up. So the thirds are inversions of each other. One goes up, the other one goes down. And also the stepwise is an inversion of each other. The first time it's step down, step down, but then later on it's step up, step up. But then what does he do right after that? He just sits on the last note of that melody, which is an F sharp, and he replays the introduction. Remember, the introduction is just that chord progression. So he kind of just luxuriates in that chord progression of major seventh chords. So it sounds like this. And that's just part of Satie's approach of simplifying his musical procedure. Just sit back and relax and listen to these beautiful chords, even though you've already heard them before. What's also interesting is, if I play the melody backwards, and in music that's really called retrograde, it sounds quite good, and it even sounds similar to the original. And part of that is because embedded within the melody are little segments that are inversions of each other, as I was just discussing. So I'm going to play the melody backwards for you and just keep the rhythm as it is. Johann Sebastian Bach would have definitely appreciated that because, as you know, he loved playing melodies backwards, upside down, forwards, usually at the same time. Now I'd like to replay the B section, the second section of this piece because it's very interesting what Satie does here harmonically. The melody is very similar to the beginning, it has a lot of the same contour. I'd like you also to listen to the lowest note of the left hand, the bass. I'm not sure if you heard this, but with the exception of the very first bass note, all the bass notes of that excerpt were the same note, a low D. Now, when a composer holds out a bass note, regardless of the harmonies that are changing over it, it's called a pedal tone. And what happens with a pedal tone is you're stressing a certain note, usually in the bass, but it doesn't have to be in the bass, which means on one level you're stressing a certain harmony, because remember, A note in a key refers to a scale degree, one of the notes of a scale, and if you're accenting one of the degrees of a scale, you're also accenting a particular harmony that's associated with that scale degree. But the harmonies are changing over it, so you have two different things going on. You have this low D that keeps repeating and repeating, but then the melody, of course, is going on, and the chords are also changing in the left hand as well. Now here's the thing and I hope this makes sense. That D in the bass sounds like a 5 chord. And remember in tonal music 5 is a dominant. Now if D is the dominant then it's implying the key of G. So if you're in the key of G, D is the dominant. But it turns out if you look at the key signature of this piece Satie is writing not in the key of G, but in the key of D. So let me explain exactly what that means. In the very beginning of the piece, the very first chord that you hear is G. And right after that, you hear D, and D is actually the key of the piece. So, in other words, Satie is not beginning the entire piece on the one chord, in other words, on D. He's beginning on G, and G happens to be called the subdominant. It would be Roman numeral four in music theory. Now, the B section that I just played for you, remember the bass note that's being held out as a pedal tone is D. So, what Satie is doing is he's treating that D as the dominant of G. But G is not the key of the piece. G is the first chord of the piece. And remember, the first chord of the piece is the subdominant. So, I hope this makes sense. That D is the dominant of the first chord of the piece, which is the subdominant. Even though in the middle of the piece, it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like that he's going to the key of G. And the reason why it sounds like it's going to the key of G, because remember, the piece began with a G chord. And it almost sounded like the key of G, although that's not the true key of the piece. It's a little theoretical sleight of hand. If that didn't make sense, don't worry about it. You might have to listen to it more than once. But here's the next trick that he does. Remember, I was just saying that that D held out in the bass was indicating the key of G and G was the first chord of the piece. Well, you expect G to be the very next chord, but instead he goes to E minor. It's deceptive. So, in other words, you're expecting G, the first chord of the piece, but instead you get E, E minor. Let me play a few of that segment where it happens. So, that very last chord at the very end is not what we expect G, it's E, E minor to be exact, and a music that's called a deceptive progression, because it deceives us. We expect something, and we get something else. This is a simple piece, but actually it's not so simple, is it? Now, at the very end of the B section, he does what we were thinking he was going to do in the middle. He has a D chord. He treats that D chord as the dominant of G. And he does go to G. But why does he go to G? Because this time he begins the piece over from the beginning. Let's listen to the end of the B section going into the repeat of the entire piece. Now, you may be wondering, well, how does he end in the key of D? Because the piece is in D. If he's making D sound not like the home key, he's making it sound like a dominant. Well, it's another sleight of hand. What he does is, when he repeats the first section, he changes the end a little bit in such a way that the very last chord of the piece sounds like D, we're in the key of D, but he doesn't end on D major. The key of the piece is two sharps, D major. Instead, he ends on D minor. But that's not really accurate either, because when I say the key of D minor, of course I'm talking about tonal music, but at the end, it sounds more like one of the old church modes of the Middle Ages, the Dorian mode. And if you're in one of those modes, it's not tonal music It's modal music, and I've spoken about those old modes in prior episodes. So, what Satie is doing here, many of the Impressionist composers do, it's not just a tonal piece, there are definitely tonal progressions, but he also mixes in some modal progressions of older scales, because it's an Impressionistic piece. The focus is not on harmonic progression in the traditional sense, but the sound, the sonorities themselves and the atmosphere of the peace. Let's listen to the last few measures again. Now, before we go, I'd like to play just a few measures of Claude Debussy's arrangement of this piece for orchestra. And as you listen to it, ask yourselves, what instruments are being used? Because Debussy doesn't use a full orchestra. An entire orchestra would be inappropriate for the gentle and reflective quality of this piece. So here's the first half of the piece as arranged by Debussy. So what did we have there? We definitely had strings. I'm sure you heard a harp. There was also flutes, an oboe, and horns, too. But did you hear any percussion? If you did, that was actually a cymbal, except Debussy was instructing the cymbal player to strike it not with regular wood sticks, but with a timpani mallet, which has a head that's wrapped in felt to make it soft because Debussy wants a very quiet strike to this cymbal. And it really doesn't work unless you strike it really, really softly. It's too often I hear recordings where it's a little bit too loud. It's meant to be very, very soft. It's marked pianissimo, which is very soft. And Debussy writes a harp part that, of course, was not part of the original piano composition. The harp is just outlining notes of the chords and adding color to the piece in some motion. Debussy also divides the first violin parts so that they're not all playing the same note, they're playing separate notes, which makes it sound a little quieter and more gentle. Satie actually wrote three piano pieces called Gymnopédie, number one, two, and three. The first one, which is the one we discussed, is the most famous. And Debussy arranged the first and the third. He didn't arrange the second, saying that it didn't lend itself to orchestration, I'm not sure I believe him, because all three pieces have the same kind of piano texture. If he did the first and the third, he certainly could have done the second. Maybe he just didn't like the second as much. I don't really know. But if a famous composer like Claude Debussy offers to orchestrate your piano work, you don't argue with him. You just nod your head and say, Oh, thank you very much, Mr. Debussy. If you feel like listening to very calming music, I recommend listening to all three of Satie's Gymnopedie. I hope to see you next time because one thing about Dr. Music, it just gets better and better.